Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life Podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you can join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, and share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art and Life Facebook group, where we discuss topics from the shows. You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com on the contact page. And while you're there, check out the new artwork I've been creating. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support my art and the Art and Life podcast on my Patreon page. Just search Taylor Gallegos Art. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. Now, on to the good stuff. Welcome everybody to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos. So we have an awesome interview today. There's all kinds of wisdom that's about to be dropped on you. There's uh, perspectives, ideas, metaphors, metaphors, metaphors. It's going to be a beautiful ride. Um, I just got so much out of this uh, podcast interview. I was on cloud nine, folks, <laughs> through this whole thing. And uh, yeah. I'm sure you're going to hear it while I'm geeking out, interviewing a legend in the painting world, a living legend in the painting world. Um, this is a man who I've been following along with for years. And uh, so to actually like sit here and interview him was so cool. So thanks, Vladimir. Um, yeah, I guess we're going to just jump right into it. Without further ado, Mr. Vladimir Kush. Welcome everybody to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos. And with me today is an extremely special guest. I, I can't stress enough how honored I am to have this gentleman on the podcast. Um, I can't wait to dive in. So we'll just let him tell his story. So Mr. Vladimir Kush, thank you for being here. Uh, great having me, Taylor, uh, on this podcast. So uh, and nice meeting everyone. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so why don't we just dive right in? Why don't you just tell us uh, a little bit about your life, who you are, where you're from, how you got to where you're at, and what it is that you do? Well, it's, um, okay, it's a long story, and uh, 
the reason how I came uh, at first place to Hawaii to the four um, fathers, probably furthest away place uh, from Russia uh, was just following my childhood dreams. Uh, when I was uh, growing up, I was enamored with great explorers, uh, countries that uh, it was impossible to see for me because we were growing up behind an iron curtain. And uh, as soon as I got out, I, uh, I got to the furthermost place, <laughs> which was Hawaii, it's probably opposite uh, point on the globe, uh, literally standing upside down, right, from where I was before. So, um, and that's a reason for me to get there. But uh, I also believed by the time I grew up and graduated from our academy, uh, I believed that uh, it would be necessary for the artist to uh, to leave Russia because Russia has no future as an art market. And so following my dreams um, brought me to United States and the United States, as it was at that time, at least it was, uh, it was where the American dream still was alive. <laughs> That's what I was following. But going back into how I grew up, I grew up in an intellectual family. They gave me uh, my father gave me uh, classical literature to read. I, I went to uh, art school since I was six years old. Uh, I started to draw since I was four, probably. So probably genetically inherited the, uh, the ability to draw and paint from some of my grandparents. But nobody has, been, has become ever an artist in, in our family. Uh, but everyone had to be inclined, at least on my father's side, to all the uh, cultural things, uh, literature, arts, music, all the uh, expressions of human intellect and passion and talent, so, so to say. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds uh, kind of similar. I'm, I'm an artist, I'm a painter as well. And I, my mom was a writer. And I feel like uh, a lot of times, you know, people ask me like, well, are there artists in your family? And there aren't literally, but I feel like that same sort of like, the understanding of process and the way to think and like approach a problem or a, um, a challenge is, is similar. Yeah, that's... Uh, you can genetically inherit, you know, you, you can inherit the genes, but uh, without uh, hard labor uh, and a lot of efforts put into this, it will be extremely difficult to achieve anything. Uh, I've seen some tal talented people that actually uh, stopped doing this just because it was difficult to make even money on this. So um, at the same time, I've seen untalented people who's been trained to paint <laughs> in Russia because uh, of the rigorous system over there uh, in art schools, they were still able to paint. And yes, they cannot uh, maybe achieve like uh, anything bigger than 
decorate, you know, like uh, they cannot create anything more than decorations for the interiors, basically. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but they can paint. I mean, it's, it's it can be taught, actually, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Which is which may sound uh, weird to some point, but it, it, they can be taught. To uh, the skill can be given to the people, and and uh, and it can help them to uh, to prosper. Yeah. So then when. Now you came to the United States and you, I, I can't, I don't remember whether you went straight to Hawaii or if you came to Santa Monica, but I read. Oh, I came to, um, yes, the first time I went just for, for a sort of like a vacation. It was not a vacation. I was just painting portraits on the beach in Hawaii. So I got uh, all the way to Maui and then <clears throat> I went back and I was in different states for a short time, but then I, in a year, I was back in Los Angeles, actually, and that's where my journey started, my Odyssey <laughs> story started. Yeah, and so you were in Santa Monica, and you were like ending up at the boardwalk or at the like the pier, where you, and you were doing like art on the on the boardwalk. Is that what you're doing? Were you painting portraits? What was your story there? <laughs> Yes, yeah, long story short, is like I, I ran out of uh, money completely when I was in Los Angeles because I came from the show in in Germany and I flew over to Los Angeles, and then um, uh, after one day I rented out a place, uh, a room in Northridge, but then uh, all I had, my belongings were only just uh, an easel and a little mattress, you know, an inflated mattress that would. That I had a hole and deflate uh, <laughs> to the ground, you know. So, um, and when I had only twenty dollars left, then I decided that I need to go and uh, with my easel, you know, and uh, do something. So I I got on the bus, but you have to take three buses. So I stuck my twenty dollar bill in the first bus, so I had to walk other two buses distances, or whatever that was. So I walked all day, probably ten hours. <laughs> to Santa Monica and then um, uh, by the time I got there I just I went on a, on a pier and uh, started to draw the, I did one portrait and been chased away because I didn't have any permits and then and I had to see uh, there was no uh, ways for me to get back I just decided to stay so for about a week I lived there basically with homeless people so, <laughs> Yeah, so and then in the daytime, I would go and do three, four portraits for 30 bucks, and then uh, they would chase me away, and then I'll do the same next day. And so, because uh, I didn't have any license to do that, of course. So, and then years later, I did it in Lahaina, and I did it in Moscow, I did it in Lahaina, just supporting myself, but I only did it to certain, to only a certain degree. I, I did it only as much as as it would allow me to stay alive, basically. And then the rest of the time I was just uh, doing my uh, paintings. Yeah. I was painting the rest of the time. Well, and speaking of your paintings, I've been following you for years. I first came across you, uh, your gallery in Laguna at an art walk. 
this was like probably four or five years ago. And uh, I mean, I walked in the door and was just like floored by them. And it was just, everybody who's listening to the podcast needs to go and check out Vladimir's art because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's astonishing, I would say. And it's so cool. And so I guess I want to just open up the opportunity for you to talk about um, like how your style developed and how your concepts developed over time. Like, um, I mean, were you like when you were working in Santa Monica doing those sorts of things, just like getting by, did you have a sketchbook where you were like sketching out ideas? Are you like, do you develop ideas on a small scale before you? Yeah, the the ideas uh, started with the black and white drawings and I, I always sketch them out. Sometimes I would just go to the painting, straight to the painting, but uh, uh, later I arrived to the fact that I need to do the sketches first, uh, sometimes watercolors, and develop it into a concept like, uh, like a painting. When it's ready in my head already, and I can see in my imagination the, uh, the end result, uh, then I would start the canvas. Uh, then. Uh, later, it, uh, I decided that it should be in 3D as well. So I started to do sculptures again. So, uh, so we have more than 60 titles for the sculptures now, by, by now in the galleries. I cannot even fit them all, <laughs> as a matter of fact, <laughs> sculptures. And then <clears throat> 3D went even further, you know. It's, uh, I decided that it would, be, it would be good to have it wearable. And we decided, uh, I did. We created basically a line of jewelry. Yeah. So, um, what gives life to this? It is the fact that this concept is very alive. We used to uh, metaphors in our language. We talk metaphorically. Sometimes, you know, very simple metaphors like time is money. And then uh, these concepts. We used to, we, we, we literally like, I'm, I'm talking to the people who uh, are specializing, they, that teach in the universities and they say, oh no, metaphor is only about language. It's about, well, I'm the first one that you can take it, whatever, <laughs> for whatever it is, who created a visual metaphor. So it transferred this whole concept to the world of visual. And this is more impactful even than the words, because this is the first thing that the humans uh, are reacting to, is visual, oh, yeah. uh, visual reaction. So this is a this, uh, it, it, metaphor by definition is intuitive perception of likeness in the things that are different. That is actually a quote from uh, the most def, most uh, transparent quote from uh, Aristotle. So it's from ancient times. The metaphor has been known as a uttermost uh, expression of human intellect because uh, what nowadays uh, computers can imitate any kind of style of painting. Nowadays we're coming to this point when, when a lot of uh, artists will be you like it or not to hear that, but they will be replaced with photography and <laughs> and a computer uh, renderings, you know, so, right. so to say. Uh, 
But the one thing that uh, Computer Canada came up with is, is metaphors. Aristotle also added that metaphor cannot be taught. You cannot teach somebody. It is even, it's either there or not. Uh, metaphor belongs to poetry. Poetry is uh, most abandoned, probably, the branch of literature, I would say. <laughs> poetry in America, I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> One of the uh, poets that influenced uh, me was Yosef Brodsky. He was from Russia, but he was uh, he's a Nobel Prize laureate. And he received Nobel Prize for, for his poetry. Yeah. One of the most metaphorical poets, I would say. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I think uh, like your work is so interesting because those those metaphors, it's like a jump off point that stimulates people's imagination and then they can take it anywhere they want, which is a really neat thing about like poetry as well. It's like it's an abs it's a concept, like an energy, a concept that is an abstraction that we can then listen and you can listen to the same poem that I listen to or you can listen to the same poem two different times and get a different experience from it and then from there it's like it blossoms into a whole different thing in your mind or in my mind or whatever and that's where like the visual metaphor is so powerful because I mean I'm sure like I'm sure every time you look at your paintings they you get something different from the different ones like oh, absolutely it expands the uh, imagination of people because they uh, the more uh, the most common reaction to my artwork by people who walk in a gallery and they see that is, oh, it's a revelation for me because I must have, must have seen it before, maybe in my dreams, but I could never express myself. Wow. <laughs> they recognize their own thinking and dreams. Yeah, wow. It's like a mirror. <laughs> yes, it's a mirror. I mean, a mirror of metaphor. Yes, it's a uh, see the world in the mirror of metaphor. That's written on our uh, uh, on our like even documents. You know, like it oh, is. I it's know. written on our uh, business cards. Yeah. <laughs> in the gallery. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> see the um, world in the now, one uh, one thing that I saw on your website that really was interesting to me was that you said it says that your work reverses the destructive forces of abstract of, of abstraction i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that well in my opinion abstract uh, paintings is a great way of hiding completely the lack of skill and the lack of concept too so people go into this with no concept at all i don't believe in that kind of way of uh, creating art i think uh, you need to bring some kind of message. Yeah, we have to know what you what are you trying to say, and it shouldn't be just a, a blob of you know colors on it. You know, it's just like sometimes I see in some of the. Uh, again, I'm not a generalizing because there are some interesting things out there, uh, but rarely I would say. You know, sometimes you will you'll find that uh, somebody is actually bringing something in. You know, like they are like. There's more than just uh, uh, throwing the paint on the canvas. There's more to that. 
but it doesn't happen all the time. So what I do is completely opposite to this, uh, is very precise, uh, probably um, only possible if you have a, a skill which you can, which you can apply to that. Uh, it, there's no secret that American schools of art are just not teaching art, uh, not teaching skill. They're teaching a free expression. Right. And that doesn't uh, produce any artists, uh, that, that system does not produce artists that would, uh, would be able to paint in a, how to say that, figurative, we call it figurative in Europe, but in actuality, actuality is like precise, skillful way, you know, so uh, classically trained. Yep. So abstract painting is sometimes a way of hiding that. Yeah. <laughs> so showing uh, some concepts like, like, uh, like metaphorical realism, like what I do, for example, they're only possible with certain level of skill. Yeah. Yeah, and like, uh, uh, but, but but again, metaphorical realism, a metaphorical approach to uh, drawing, even uh, painting, uh, is very receptive among the children, due to one simple reason: uh, the bridge between the emotional side and the logical side of the brain in children is much wider. It's wide open. So it allows the flow of ideas and receptiveness to this type of uh, imagination. Uh, so children can take it uh, quickly on and even continue with their own ideas immediately after. It impresses them a lot better, a lot more than anything else out there in the world. It's been tested many times and like children have, uh, we, we did contests among the schools. The only problem was uh, that in US uh, art in schools is not su supported by very much. <laughs> so we didn't get much support for any of those programs even though we did the contests and I even <clears throat> in Las Vegas for school district of Nevada uh, after we did this contest, I uh, hang the paintings of uh, the winners in our gallery in Planet Hollywood. And even that did not uh, attract their attention. So we had the artwork of the winners. Uh, the contest uh, uh, was under, uh, was done in, with a theme, of course, theme where the sun is born. So all the kids had to come up with the idea of where the sun is born. Oh, it's cool because uh, it's like, it almost feels like a riddle, almost like your your paintings are titled along with the metaphor, and it's like, uh, like it feels, yeah, it feels like a riddle that I'm like coming to, and then I visually sort of like unlock as I look at it. Well, that's why metaphor comes from, you know, uh, from uh, the metaphor. Sometimes it closely related to the metaphors and words. Sometimes, sometimes it does. You know, for my young brother, who is not alive since 2005, but he, uh, he graduated from cinematography school in Russia. 
And for him, the word and the image were insep as inseparable as inhale after exhale. <laughs> it was all unified, you know, it was one thing. Yeah. So he, we even after his, he passed away, uh, we did a book on him uh, from his diaries and where he, the images, his drawings were closely related to the uh, concepts that he wrote as in words, to the writings, to his writings. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful to, to have done that. Um, the, so another thing that stood out to me that was really cool is that's kind of along the lines of kids looking at it, at your art, is the work that's been done at the Cleveland Clinic Neurological Institute with like brain health with Alzheimer's and dementia patients, how they're like introduced to your work. That would be such a cool thing to witness, I feel. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not only this institute, particularly in, uh, in Las Vegas, but uh, we have been approached by a lot of psychiatrists, psychologists to use the artwork for their patients. It's constantly happening. I mean, we get those letters all the time because they, they let them seeing some, I guess it's a way of diving into their subconsciousness yeah. of the people. So uh, yeah, with the Brain Institute, we, we had a lot of collaborations in the past. So. Yeah. Yep. Well, and with people that are experiencing dementia and Alzheimer's, it's like this, it's like the conscious brain is sort of like detaching um, you know, all the connections are like, are, are not there the way that they used to be. And so then, but what is left is still the subconscious. And I don't know, like, if you want to call it the soul, or, you know, it's like the, it's like the ego is not fully formed anymore. And so what's left is like, probably like what, what connects with like the level that your art exists in. It's like more of this, like, it, it's a deeper right. level. Yeah, that, uh, a connection in the cells, you know, in the brain cells, they, uh, it's all our memory, it's all connect, connections. So sparking this connection is important all the time. Sparking it up. Yeah. That's, that's what the artwork does. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, these ideas also, uh, it, it allows people to recognize the ideas. According to Plato, the, uh, the philosopher, uh, all the ideas are contained in some kind of cave. And so like, it's like all the people go to that cave, you know, to get that idea. So once you, uh, they're already existing somewhere. You just need to tap into this and, and basically uh, grab onto them. So it's like a pool that <laughs> yeah. you need to find them. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you, uh, so I got a question for you. How it's like, what is your difference? What's your main distinctions between surrealism and metaphorical realism as you describe it? So uh, if we call, uh, well, I'll start with Salvador Dali, of course, because a lot of people will be asking about this and what an influence that was. As a matter of fact, I was painting in my style or not, am I approaching my style, I would say, uh, in the age of 23 when I, when I never even had a book of Salvador Dali. By that time, I only had, my uncle gave me the only one 
reproduction, like invention of monsters, one of his <laughs> paintings. I never seen any other work because Russia is completely closed at that time. So, wow. uh, people who are coming to the gallery and not interested in art so much, uh, they would always ask about Dali. You know, they would say, uh, oh, did Dali uh, influence you? And I would say, well, hardly inspired maybe, you know, in some ways, but it's not no influence. There are other artists in art history that actually would even be closer to what I do. I mean, even René Magritte. Yep. <laughs> so people who are interested in art, they would know these names, but most of the people, they only know Dali. And that's the only thing that they can compare to. Right. So I just, uh, that the only uh, comparison is, is actually, uh, in my opinion, is incorrect because I would offer them to, uh, to compare. Just take one of the paintings of Vladimir Kush and compare it to one of the paintings of Dali, the most similar one. Just try to put them next to each other and see the similarity. Whether it's a concept or the way it's painted, uh, the composition is built. And they would never be able to do that. But uh, the difference is in the core of the things. I would say Dali, as a classical surrealist, he is painting subconscious dreams and uh, Freudian dreams, uh, you know, Freudian concepts. Whether what I do is uh, metaphors, it's it's much more positive way of looking at things, just different angle of looking at uh, the reality, and. Not necessarily that should be dark, like surrealism is, for the most part. So yeah. the arti artists who try to imitate the surrealism, they would also uh, go in the dark side. Uh, as my teacher used to say, it is a lot more difficult to paint a joyful picture than it is to paint a dark one. <laughs> <This Yeah. morning. laughs> Coming uh, up with the concepts filled with light and hope is a lot more difficult. It's uh, it takes uh, not just skill, but like a certain attitude. Interesting. So, uh, yeah. Uh, distortion is more of a definition of surrealism. Distortion of things. I don't distort things in my paintings. I paint them as is. Uh, it's there's no distortion, but just unusual connection. Connection is that bridge. As Jorge Borges has uh, put it, he said, you know, the blind writer from Argentina, he said, metaphor is like building a bridge between these two totally distant rocks and mountains. And the deeper is a gap between these two rocks, <laughs> two cliffs. The, the more exciting is a walk on that bridge, connecting those two separated separate ideas yeah that connection bridge that's what we're building every single time we're I'm, I'm i'm working on on a new painting yeah that makes a lot of sense i'm i think your answer there is like perfectly clear for me now uh that just like the difference between them because you're really coming from a completely different approach a different angle a different like part of the brain 
that you're like operating from than like a surrealist Dali. Um, yeah, it's like, I think that, especially for like Americans that have, that don't have that much art experience there. Yeah, that's like the connection that they make because that's the only one that they have. Um, but yeah, when you put them, when you lay it out like that, it, it makes total sense. Um, now, would you, uh, would you like to get into the question section of the, the episode here? Okay, yeah, it's, uh, whatever. Okay, so <clears throat> first question is, uh, what was the breakthrough moment of your career? Like when you went from, you know, Santa Monica painting to like, boom, you've, you've made it. What was the moment that was the inflection point? Okay, it's, it's pretty simple. I, um, I can't even point out a, a year, 1980, 1998, that's a year of the breakthrough. You know, uh, scientists has been studying, uh, you know, how people are like, tr you know, uh, trying to work in a certain area, when do they achieve success? And they figured that with all the devotion, it will take 10 years of <laughs> before it happens. So uh, for me, it was 10 years. It's actually until 1998, when I was exhibiting uh, at a small gallery, which is, which, uh, it's even weird place to exhibit my artwork at. Uh, in Lahaina in Hawaii, on the front street, it was Celebrities Gallery. Never mind, they don't exist anymore. Uh, that is in the mall, in a small room, and I went to Russia at that time and uh, uh, spent about three months in Moscow because I still have a place there. In the summertime, I painted a series of paintings that I brought back. And at that point, uh, everything changed. And those paintings were such as found in La Mancha, Nero, uh, Music of the Woods, uh, 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 yeah, that was like, uh, can't even remember now, all the old paintings. <laughs> oh yeah, Atlas of Wonder. I mean, this series of paintings has uh, has completely changed my life at that time because of the demand on those, you know, they were sold maybe quicker, quicker. Uh, uh, and that was a breakthrough in my own career. Uh, in, in my, I would say I had two breakthroughs and that is the last one. And after that, when you see my paintings is, is what it is, you know, like it's, it's became what it is after that. What was the first breakthrough? Before that, in 93, I had another show in uh, Hong Kong. When I li lived in Hong Kong there uh, for about a year or so. And it was another show where I uh, felt myself as a professional artist because my original paintings sold in one day, you know, like 13 of them out of 17 during the presentation. It was my first one man show. So my career technically started in Hong Kong, but in 98, after I did this series of paintings, to me, it's the most important part because then I mentally went to that uh, metaphorical realism. 
Okay. This is from that point I call this the style as a metaphorical reality. Cool. From 98. 98. Nice. 98. Yes. From 93, not 98. It was five years of working towards that, basically. Okay. Cool. Um, all right. So the next question is: uh, so there's this concept of flow state or being in the zone. You know, where where you're just like dialed in, nothing else matters. You're like fully focused and present. Um, I get into it through painting and through surfing, and I'm sure you get into it th through painting um, and who knows what else. But um, can you just say one of your favorite moments that you can remember where you were like totally in it? Does that make sense? Favorite moments like uh, regarding what? I mean, like exactly. It's uh, my career, my inner well, life, you know, as artist. This is more about like um, the being in the moment. Like, was there a painting that you like were really, really dialed in on? I guess it's kind of an abstract question. <laughs> oh, painting, painting. You, you're talking about what I do, you know, art, right? Yeah, and like when you're in it, like sometimes I guess for me when I'm painting, sometimes it's like everything else just fades away, and all that it's just me and the artwork, and it's like there's a there's like an energy there. Yeah. No, it's uh, I'm 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 feeling nostalgic about my uh, you know maybe a last century when I was painting completely undistracted, you know. Uh, and this series of paintings from last century, from before 2000, you know, before even 2005, I would say, uh, when I could completely submerge myself into this and not being distracted with the business aspects of anything. Yeah. <laughs> then later I, and I would be in the moment a lot more, I would say. Mm, yep. Uh, but uh, you're learning. I mean, this this is what probably most unique about myself. I, I don't know. Maybe there are other people like this. Hopefully, they are. I would like to talk to them how they do this because balancing between this business aspects of everyday life and uh, and owning you know money when you own a gallery and all these things that come in every day and creative life it, it creates a dissonance basically a contradiction because yeah. it employs completely different sides of the brain and i learned how to do that i've been doing this for about more than 20 years already you know balancing this out <laughs> it is uh, it, it is completely crazy i mean there's some people that see what's happening they don't understand how it's possible but it is. I mean, like I learned how to balance those out and switch off sides of the brain. But yes, I, I can tell you that my dream is go back to this side, to this point when I was a starving artist and I uh, didn't have anything else. I was just free <laughs> <laughs> of any uh, of any of this um, incoming, you know, like I'd say noise <laughs> noise yeah from everywhere that's really interesting <laughs> that's really interesting 
but you learn in life, you know, you have no choice. You, you learn in life how to balance those things out. But completely in moment, when I'm painting, each painting, yes, I have no choice to be in it anyways. Yeah. I have to do it as the best one of my life. Yeah. And every single time when people tell me, what is your favorite piece? I would answer, I haven't done one yet. Maybe next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a good answer. Because every one of them is, you're trying to make the greatest painting that you've ever made before. Right. Yes. Every single time, that's that should be your attitude for artists. <laughs> you're making the best one. <laughs> uh, thinking about money at that moment is impossible. You know, that's why you have to switch off completely no matter what. Otherwise, the work is not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, uh, it will not come out right if you're thinking about how you're going to sell or you need to put brighter colors in here because it's sellable or uh, like these are the favorite colors for people because I like the blue or something like that. Now, I'll do it blue because of that. No, that's the wrong, wrong attitude. That's not going to lead you anywhere. <laughs> you have to be truthful to yourself. People will see that. They will feel it eventually. Like when I was painting Nero, for example, uh, I thought it would be a most unsellable piece. The most, like, you know, gloomy. You know? <laughs> well, there was the first one that was sold out as an edition of 325. Wow. Yeah. Because so, yeah. that, that, that will not escape the people's attention, you know. That will not escape, you know. They will see the power. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, all right, well, that kind of leads into the next question. The next question is, what's your advice to aspiring creatives of all backgrounds? Yeah. Well, I think uh, everyone has to take time to learn things and not think about money and making money on this. So uh, for the artists, it's important to take time to actually learn the skill. It takes a lot of efforts. And it takes a lot of efforts even to make it eventually effortless, to make it look effortless. Uh, when the famous mathematician Gauss has been asked uh, that same question, how did he achieve what he did in his life? He said, well, 95% is uh, methodical efforts, everyday efforts, and only 5% of talent. Like in America, the common saying, 95% of perspiration, 5% of aspiration or something like that, right? <laughs> so, so that is the same thing here. Uh, uh, there's no revelations in this, no news that will come to you and give you power to do things. You gotta, you gotta work it. So there's no such thing like, oh, are you painting when you're inspired? No, when it, for the professional artists, there's no such thing exists. You have to work. It's everyday methodical efforts. That's what it is. That's they're gonna lead you to some point. And I would say on a practical level, um, artists should start with black and white drawings. I think the culture of this, uh, this is how I was taught because it's European way of approaching, uh, you know, uh, creation of art creating art uh, that comes from the before renaissance from albrecht durer times yeah 
at the beginning, the early Renaissance, when black and white drawings were the foundation of everything, the basis. And elaborating on a concept in black and white, and then going into, uh, in, into color, because color can be deceiving, but the black and white drawing will not, uh, you cannot lie through this. <laughs> that is gonna be very evident what is what. I like that. I like that. Um, that's great advice. Uh, so next question, this is the final question. What is your definition of art? Uh, okay, I, I sometimes compare art to, uh, and I talk about like, um, uh, using example of my paintings. I have a painting that is that has a pool table on it and uh, and apples as, as balls, you know, like it's on the pool table. I say that the pool table is actually the painting, you know, the, the frame of it. And uh, playing this apples is, is purely for aesthetic enjoyment, just like a pool game. And, and art is like gardening also as well. Like those apple, you know, the, the frame, in order for us to come up with some, uh, something uh, that will be called art, uh, like a painting, let's say, we need to frame that place. We need to create a frame, just like a garden, when you're creating a garden, then you have to put in uh, certain cultures, the seeds, you have to grow it. You have to eliminate all the uh, uh, random stuff that, that is there, you know, that belongs to the outside. And uh, when you're growing the tree, uh, it will bring its fruits. You know, that was compare creating art with gardening. Uh, pool game is, is also related to this because when you're playing the pool, and I'm describing the process of creating art. Uh, again, you're making thousands of brush strokes on a painting, just like those strokes on a, on a pool table. And the final stroke is done, then it's, uh, the apple is there, uh, or the ball is in the, in the pocket. Then the painting is done. Then you know, the artist knows that it's done. Uh, but both of those things are useless. That's a definition of art. Everything art is useless it's purely for aesthetic enjoyment so i'm uh, this is why i'm talking about the pool game or the gardening because it brings us to the result like it's like a three legs chair you know like or like two legs chair you know something like this it's, it is uh, it cannot it should not be applied to practical life you know it's 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 purely for aesthetic enjoyment for fulfilling your uh, subconscious and your uh, uh, your inner thinking. So art, to me, is one of the features of art is being useless. But 
serving the purpose of our fulfillment of our soul. Nice. <laughs> serving the purpose of the fulfillment of our soul. I like that a lot. That's really good. Um, all right, great. Well, uh, I think we're about to the end of part one. Do you want to just take a moment and tell everybody where they can find you um, online? And uh, I mean, you're, I guess I, I'll just say it, VladimirKush.com, VladimirKush. Well, VladimirKush.com, that's, uh, I would, you know, as a businessman, uh, I would say, no, KushFineArt.com. KushFineArt, okay, yeah, there you go. It's <laughs> more of a commercial site. Yeah, there you so go. We have two sites, but I would direct everybody to KushFineArt.com because we, we have a store there and everything. Okay. Okay. Great. Businessman and me is talking here. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Well, we always end part one with uh, one last bit of wisdom. What What's like one piece of wisdom you would you would leave the people with for part one? And this can be a more general thing. Uh, pursue your own dreams. You know, like do not. Uh... Uh, be truthful to what you want to do in life. That's that's great. And then try to apply your practical life to all, uh, devote your practical life uh, to your you know everyday life to to that dream. That's the best thing you can do because you will not regret it later. Yeah, I love it. That's that's great. Uh, all right, everybody, stick around. We're coming back for part two here in a second. Again, this podcast is brought to you by High Ground Coffee, an adventure coffee brand with a new twist on brewing coffee, wherein you steep coffee like it's a tea. You just drop a packet in hot water and you go. It's the newest way to brew coffee and it's awesome. Use coupon code TAYLOR at checkout for 15% off. Visit them at myadventurecoffee.com. That's myadventurecoffee.com. Okay, everybody, we are back with part two. Um, part one was awesome. I loved, uh, I loved all the answers you gave to those questions. It's always really fun for me to speak with artists on this podcast because I interviewed people from all different backgrounds. And it's really cool because that really, I mean, everybody, there's art in everything that people do professionally from different walks of life. And, but then when I get to talk to an artist and uh, it's like an extra special thing for me. So this is really fun. <laughs> Now, what uh, I guess like to lead off this section, like what what are you like especially interested in in your art these days or, or in the world? Is there something that you're like kind of like geeking out on? Uh, in the spe specifically, you're asking about specifically what I would be interested in art world right now in which. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I think the, the world is moving towards uh, uh, the art world, I would say, and then uh, art industry in particular. Uh, I'm moving towards uh, uh, art that is moving, right? So it's like uh, animated things, you know, like people are reacting more to moving things. It's, a, it's not that I'm, uh, I would be particularly interested in this but i think that what i do can be also animated and and put in motion 
and uh, this is a specific field for my interest right now is uh, creating uh, even small paintings uh, small videos with animated art and uh, we started to do that since 2008 when we did a short movie with partially animated paintings cool. in it it's a, it's a, like a half an hour 40 minute movie where uh, they are the paintings are grouped uh, due to the themes themes uh, and parts of them were animated um, we did a presentation in uh, in laguna in an old location uh, then we uh, we made discs and sold those uh, cds uh, we sold them all whatever the edition did and after that i thought i will move to more uh, uh, elaborate things. So right now I'm looking into animating some of the elements of the paintings. That's cool. It's just elements of the painting. So I'm looking into this uh, the whole field of animation, uh, but not in a traditional way. It's uh, it's more like an artistic uh, animation that also metaphorical. I would say so makes sense. For instance. Um, I'll give you an example in art world what uh, I was looking at. Uh, there's a movie maker, Green, uh, Peter Greenaway, who created uh, some unusual movies like The Cook, The Thief, thief His Wife and Her Lover, you know, like all these strange movies uh, that besides being strange, they're highly artistic because he was a painter himself. There's a lot of art in it. And if you start watching them from the point of view of uh, looking at the, uh, the movie and not from the point of view of like a plot or like, you know, but from the point of view, how beautiful are the pictures that he shows, you know, like what are they, the snapshots, uh, then uh, you, it might be a revelation for you, you know, like for, for anybody. Yeah. Uh, so he did, um, it is a little gig, and I think it is it is all over the internet. Uh, you can find it on YouTube uh, with Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. When he uh, light, uh, lighted up the, the painting, lit it up uh, with uh, uh, from different angles and different spots so that people can start seeing certain parts of that painting. I recognize in this story, you know, so sort of, sort of like storytelling uh, through this, uh, through lighting up those parts of the paintings, of, right. of, of the fresco actually, not the painting. I mean, it's, it's a mural in Milan, right? So that's what he used for that. And that is a completely different approach too, you know, it's, it's not even a cinema, it's not even a painting anymore. It's, uh, it's about showing us something that revealing something that was not done before. So uh, I have a painting also a Last Supper. That's called Last Supper. Yep. But what different- uh, Is that with the, the one with uh, the flowers? Yeah, the one with the flowers, where the disciples are like flowers, right? Yep. Uh, which shows uh, different emotions of those disciples through the colors of the flowers. So emotions evoked by the historical words of Christ. <laughs> and then these emotions are 
transferring into these flowers as, as colors. So it's a modern approach to that theme, completely different. And uh, Leonardo for himself, you know, for his time, he was a revolutionary himself for his time because before him, everybody could recognize that Judas, you know, on the other side of the table opposing Christ and Leonardo put him, uh, Judas, next to the other disciples. So now that math, I, I treat it as a mythology, of course, you know, so. Uh, is gaining a new reality. And I'm trying to even uh, bring it to life by animating those flowers to show how, uh, what happens, you know, emotionally at that period, uh, you know, when Christ had everybody at the table. Yeah. Well, and it's such a dramatic moment, you know, in, in Da Vinci's piece. Dramatic moment. And then, um, and then your flowers are all like expressing it, expressing the drama in their own little way, uh, you know, through the color, oh. but also just through like the, the way that you have them set up. It's very, you know, like, uh, I don't know, Renaissance expressive, like that sort of like a, a physical expression in them all. Yeah, there's a lot of... Um animators that came and asked for uh, for collaborations yeah. with a lot of people but uh, and even game creators in the past wow so I uh, uh, lately I've been approached several times uh, regarding the virtual reality and oh, yeah. collaboration stuff. so uh, the so I'm looking at all these aspects of uh, of art, you know, how art can be applied to them, to those new technologies and things like that. I think yeah, it's, that, uh, okay. yeah, that's such an interesting area. I mean, it seems like it's kind of the next frontier with everything, because a painting, a drawing, it's a it's a two dimensional piece and it doesn't change. Um, but then, like, I'm. There's times where I'm envious of video because it, you know you can express a dynamic movement so clearly, and in a painting you have to come up with a different uh, different solution to it. The biggest obstacle on the way to uh, this uh, even partial animation, like if you want to do it in a real as a real animation, that requires a team of people and a lot of uh, a lot of resources. So uh, you cannot compete with uh, with organizations like Pixar, right? So <laughs> with with the resources they have. So uh, if the artist wants to do something like uh, like animation, you need to, you need to really uh, uh, invent things in a different way. So it's uh, it is or uh, we'll work with some people that are. Uh, they can devote themselves to that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like what you said about like inventing a new way because it's like you can't compete with with Pixar. So like you shouldn't even try to do that because you're not going to win. So instead no. you have to go a different direction, like the way that, you know, like the video you're talking about that it like lights the, um, the last supper with the candle in a different way, you know, and it's like, 
it kind of like switches the context which then puts the artist in the driver's seat and then the, the experiencer the viewer um puts them in the passenger seat in a, and you, you take them on a trip in a whole different way um you know it's cool uh, you though you mentioned the frame being part of art and uh it's neat how like the frame is really like as an artist like you choose the frame and you and by you choosing the frame uh you you kind of you create the way that you want the viewer to experience your work and like that's your place where you can like set the terms basically for the experience and then and then the viewer like is walked through the experience you're like as an artist you're like a, a conductor of a symphony sort of it's it's uh it's a cool situation So we were setting up the terms by frame uh, by creating the frame. This is how I was taught from the very beginning. They started drawing, you do the frame first. Oh, really? <laughs> Little sketch, you do the frame. You frame it. Same does the gardener, right? He frames the place yep. to create the garden. Yeah, and then uh, and then when someone comes and visits your garden, you show that like you walk them in and you show them like okay, this is how you're going to experience it. Um, yeah, and so like with with any art, you're like you're creating the 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 set. And I'm not saying that the the, the frame should be square or anything like this or, or rectangular. It could yeah. be anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like it. Um, what do you think about? Uh, did you hear about Beeple selling the NFT art? NFT, yes, yeah, yep. What did you think about that? Well, as a matter of fact, like I'll give you a little bit of a history. Uh, I had a client who bought uh, for three hundred fifty thousand uh, painting uh, called the Human Way. It's a compilation piece, uh, eight feet long, and you know, so it's it's a it's a big piece. And um, he was one of the creators of the blockchain technology. So uh, I will not reveal the name, but anyways, uh, we transfer, I coinized it in public during the presentation in Laguna Beach. We coinized it, you know, the painting and I transferred it to him, you know, so, so I say <laughs> like that. <laughs> when was it that? Is, How long ago was that? That was three years ago. Oh, okay, cool. You're way ahead of the game. And so eventually, like now when it appeared, now it is, uh, they are selling not even a file or not even a painting. It's basically a code. So I'm just thinking that it may stay afloat, but it looks too much to me as a pyramid right now, mm -hmm. which uh, were the people that are just getting in, uh, cashing out and then uh whoever is going to be in the end they're going to lose so i don't still it's still going but uh as as a novelty maybe that's why it's going right now as a novelty but i'm not sure and i couldn't get an answer what is the end goal of the people of the people who are buying this okay they own it for what because there should be something else that it should be applied to, you know, you own that code, you know, that that is a painting that digital. 
code, but like, what what are you gonna use it for? <laughs> you can own as many. So I think it's a completely different breed of collectors. Maybe it's you know it's in a completely separate space because my collectors and we have about almost fifty thousand people in that database. But I'm not sure if there are people among them that would do this uh, such a thing. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. So I'm looking into this. I might even participate in it just out of experiment. Yeah. But I'm not. Uh, I'm pretty skeptical about it if uh, if it's gonna stay afloat. So. Uh, yeah. It's interesting what it like the the questions that it brings up. I feel like it kind of speaks to like the impermanence of like life and art and everything and like it almost it almost like brings questions it like questions the nature of reality um in a similar way that like maybe like Andy Warhol when he came along and he started doing pop art and everyone's like this isn't art and it's like yeah it's not but it is and what is art anyway you know it like it kind of like flips the whole everything on its head a little bit Yeah, the, the, the culture of Andy Warhol, I think, damaged a lot of people. I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, uh, <laughs> it's actually, uh, Andy Warhol is in the, in the veins of New York City, actually. It's, it's absolutely like uh, intertwined with like, uh, we had a gallery two different times in different, different locations in New York City. And this is what I experienced. It's uh, brains are fried by, by Andy Warhol, you know. He <laughs> <Yeah>. is just. <laughs> oh. To me, that is like, I might, I might uh, sound like way too traditional and maybe outdated in that sense, but maybe, you know, uh, maybe so, but I, I have to express myself. This is, totally. uh, and I'm not even saying it's not art. I mean, but Andy Warhol to me is uh, is is a, as a concept. It may exist, but why it's so popular here? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, well, I, 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 the oh, idea. I, I I believe that idea of creating a factory out of something like Andy Warhol created. You know. Yep. It, it, it is valid, you know, because I would do the same thing. And, and to, to a certain degree, what I do is it, it's not a factory, but it could be a factory, you know, because because I can give the concepts and we can create different products. Yeah, it is. It, it, it can be done. And I would like to do that uh, in the future. But I just think that uh, you have to start with a valid concept to begin with. <laughs> yeah yeah and he just like yeah it, he like recycled nothing into nothing which turned into like the whole concept which was something which wasn't anything so i mean i wouldn't say that you're outdated i would say that you're a, i would call you more of a purist like a traditionalist a purist in terms of like your perspective on art It's yeah. uh, I have a purest, purest uh, approach for sure. 
And it's fun to hear your perspective on um, like the, the general art, I don't know, like IQ or like thought pattern in the United States. It's gotta be like, because you, you know, are Russian and then you come to this country and then you experience it from a total outsider's perspective, which is so cool. Like I'm from here, so I, I was raised in the, the culture, so I, I don't have that um, like viewpoint. So it's neat to hear uh, your perspective on everything. And I'm sure it's been. Yeah, so you see, they're like uh, talking about uh, going back in the history, even uh, in the times of Salvador Dali, that already abstract painting and like, and they existed. And Dali has come to one of the shows and was staring at the wall instead of the painting. So he's, you know, whoever he was with, he said, like, why are you staring at the wall? He said, well, I, I admire the painting, you know, on it, you know, because because that much more even and better job than the one on the on the paintings, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, in one of the uh, Russian movies, uh, probably from 10 years ago, there was like friends are discussing visiting uh, Guggenheim Museum in New York. And uh, he says, well, I came to one painting and it says, and it, and it is uh, two triangulars, blue and white. And the title says, two triangulars, blue and white. And he goes, uh, <laughs> three rectangulars, red, green, and black. And I said, three rectangulars, red, blue, green, and black. Okay, then he goes, uh, he, he wants to use a, a bathroom, right? So he comes to the bathroom and says, Toilet is closed, and he's thinking, toilet is closed, is that it? It is really closed, you know? So I don't want a piece in a, in a piece of art, you know? So I, w I went and looked for the, for, the, uh, for the artwork that is titled, Toilet is Open. <laughs> for, 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 for the open one. So I, I'm just I'm just saying it's it became the the, the fine line between the art and uh, and basically crap you know uh, has been erased in the modern times. Right. So I am standing to create that border much better. You know, there should be some kind of borderline. Yeah. Yeah, you. It cannot be just frivolous, just like that, you know, because there, you, you're getting too many uh, fraud people. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, your art reminds me of like a like a lighthouse in like sitting on the edge of like a, a crazy art ocean. You know, like you're like shining a, a beacon of like this is this is you know where my art should be and where art should go you know it's like your perspective on like what art is well i think i believe that in the future there will be demand for that enlightening art you know people will always go back to this they uh, it doesn't give to their soul anything you know like things like andy warhol they they've been sold for purely investments right uh there's also like a concept of uh putting it as a interior design i mean interior designers probably propagating this type of art because they 
uh, they don't want any, uh, how to say that, uh, load or uh, pressure on the on on some of the interiors with with some kind of concept because it becomes too aggressive for the so they want just a bright spot right and that's been called art they just they want a bright spot yeah something something that is unaggressive like it belongs to the wall it matches their couch it matches the the curtains you know it matches whatever the walls uh, so art becomes uh, a, something that you can order in IKEA and uh, <laughs> start buying it. I think that in the future they will start selling it in Costco. And <laughs> oh, yeah, places like this. They might already be. <laughs> and, 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 and the galleries will be obsolete, you know. So it will be like a cheap art that you can just buy to to put on the wall. And, right. But that's uh, unfortunate that it's happening. So like you said, like that doesn't have the impact, like, like the power, you know, like you were talking about that series that you made and like people felt the power and even people, people that don't know anything about art who walk into a place and stand in front of some, like a masterpiece, like it hits them, you know, like they, they get, they feel it no matter what background they come from. And, you know, whereas you walk in front of them an, an Ikea piece and you can just walk right by it. And uh, yeah, it seems like the, the world of art is like in the last hundred years has sort of oscillated between um, like stuff with real soul and then almost like taking the soul out of it. Like Andy Warhol, the feeling that you get from looking at it is almost like an emptiness. Like the human element is taken out and it's like just sort of like reproduction, but, but that is him. And, but he was a weird guy. He was like, he kind of was an empty person in a lot of ways. He didn't really like engage. He sort of wanted to be a fly on the wall, like an observer. And it's, uh, but an art was, like, yeah, with, with Andy Warhol, that's now like the concept of who is an artist is, has shifted. So now anybody can be an artist after Andy Warhol, <laughs> which I think you have to deserve to be called one, you know, you have to, earn it somehow yeah yeah i mean it's it's uh and but in that way okay so in that way his art is very it has been powerful and impactful because it has made a big shift in the world good or bad it's like um it's it's a and then in that way it's like it's hard to say like good or bad in, in general i feel like his art just like it just brings up so many questions and that is his art in in general it's not even the piece on the wall it's like the fact that we question things and then and then come to our own answers like that's the art well, in, in uh, old times like in, uh, in the past centuries uh, art has had uh, played had played a very essential role, a more central uh, role in, in a society because the artists were always close to the uh, to government sometimes, you know, like a look at Rubens, you know, who was a, who was a diplomat and worked for the king, you know, like for, for, for royalty, you know, so they, they were propagating, they were replacing, they were actually uh, all the uh, politics, you know, uh, 
of the of the of the country, a certain country, has been intertwined with with artists, you know. Yeah. And, uh, what their role was much bigger, I would say. Yeah. And then with these modern times, uh, the role of the artist has been, you know, they're like almost outcasts, <laughs> sort of, many of them. Yeah. Well, Vladimir, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and talk with our listeners today. Um, I got to tell you that this has just been so awesome. I've been following you for a long time, like I said, and uh, I follow you on Instagram and I'm constantly just being inspired in my own artwork and my own life by what I see on your, um, what you always show. And um and it's just been really cool hearing your perspectives today so i appreciate it oh thank you for listening to this so <laughs> yeah I, I can invite anybody to you know everybody to uh to our representations that we do sometimes uh, and we'll resume them probably in the near future when we're allowed to yeah. uh this uh, pandemic was of course a huge uh dent in the, art industry but uh, we continue to be uh, uh, online and but we uh, uh, we have been uh, all our galleries has been open since uh, beginning of June uh, oh. except for Maui uh, which was open since uh, March uh, but we are resuming uh, smaller scale shows and presentations in the near future so the next one will be probably in Laguna Beach and we're also opening another uh, gallery. No way. Same time, yes. Where's that? Uh, will be number four in Miami. Oh, yeah. On Lincoln Road, so and then Central Place. That's great. And so then, um, and can people find out about these presentations that you do on your website? Or where does that? Uh, yes, that will be announced, definitely. And uh, our VIP clients, uh, will receive some invita you know, invitations to those to come in. So it's kind of limited in capacity, of course. It's not like we can open doors to everybody and have uh, hundreds of people, which we used to. <laughs> yeah. But we can, well, we can, you know, do a presentation in front of maybe 20, 30 people. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. All right, Vladimir, well, uh, yeah. yeah, thanks again. Taylor, thank you for having me. I, I do appreciate the opportunity to speak. So. <laughs> Definitely. All right, my friends, that was Vladimir Kush, the artist, the man, the myth, the legend. He's awesome. <laughs> that was so much fun. That was really cool for me. I hope that you got a lot out of it because uh, I sure did. Um, I was just telling him after we stopped recording that it was so cool to hear um, from a, a worldly perspective uh, in terms of art, you know, like I'm from the United States and my perception of art is through that lens. And so then it was really neat to hear someone from a completely different perspective that doesn't have, you know, the upbringing, the trap, upbringings, the trappings, the, you know, understanding the background, all these um, cultural influences and to hear his his ideas it's really cool it 
Yeah, it was great. I don't know, did you guys get some inspiration out of that? I sure did. I'm about to go paint uh, on this mural that I'm working on and I'm personally fired up. <laughs> I mean, the whole, the whole point of this show is to uh, bring inspiration to all of us creatives because sometimes we need it. But like he said, you know, it's all about working, putting in the work, like inspiration will come and go. It's like lightning that will strike. But uh, yeah, we got to put in hours and time. And <laughs> I always like to joke that um, my paintings aren't going to paint themselves. So I've got to do it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think that's it. On that note, go out there and make something awesome happen. Cheers. <laughs>